Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing, so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. I've usually found that the quietest people are the most amazing Their stories haven't been told. When you get it out of them, they're able to articulate, often for the very first time, what they do in a way that matters, and it lights them up. One thing that people can do on their own or with their friends is ask, if you were describing me to a friend, what would you say? Or, what do I do best? Or, how do I do what I do? You let them describe who you are, that gives you the answer. Also, the language that your colleagues use is exactly what everybody else uses. We have all this jargon, and certain words mean things to us, but they have no meaning at all to the neighbor across the street. Letting somebody else shape your story is the fastest way to get from, I don't know who I am and I'm afraid to talk, (laughs) to having a story that other people want to hear the ending to. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest today, Mike Wittenstein. He's the founder and managing partner at StoryMiners. Mike shepherds mid-market companies to higher operating results and profitable exits using StoryMiners' unique combination of story, strategy, experience design and technology. His robust story-driven process helps bring clarity to their stories. Strategic plans, brands, reorganizations, customer experiences, and game plans. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel, where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's a short audio book that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. In our conversation today, Mike talked to me about telling engaging stories in a way that places the customer at the center We talked about conscious capitalism, adaptive enterprise, regenerative agriculture, and making decisions to benefit all. And we discussed customer experience journey mapping with sketches. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Mike Wittenstein. Hi. I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome from Atlanta, Georgia, to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Mike Wittenstein of StoryMiners. Mike enables leaders to develop a powerful leadership story so their strategies can increase and sustain competitive advantage and be understood by all. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Mike. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest. It's a real privilege for me to be here. You've got quite the group following you, so thanks for having me. Now, Jess Duell, who was our guest on episode 511 of the Innova Buzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. So a big hello to Jess. Absolutely. Same here. Now, Mike, I'm really looking forward to digging into all things storytelling and how you 
work to craft meaningful, engaging stories with your clients and also why it's so important to use storytelling to build a brand to use in your marketing. Also, I know you've done a lot of work in customer experience and that's another mm -hmm. area that I'm quite passionate about too. So looking forward to digging into that some more and how that came about and how that connects to storytelling. Before we get on to all those things, let's start off with the impact you're making in the world. What's, what's the legacy you hope to leave? Well, what a big, that's like the last question of a podcast <laughs> interview. <laughs> well, you know, they say that somebody that's older than you is you know, old is 20 years older than you. So impact wise, you can look at the things that you've done, but we're not always aware of the things that we're doing right now that are going to make a difference in the future. And it's a little bit haughty and egotistical, in my opinion, to even try to guess at that. But what I am doing mindfully and I hope this will have a big impact, is I'm trying to get my clients to make decisions that have multiple positive impacts. I grew up in a country, the United States, where during the time that I was growing up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and so on, the, the holy grail was making as much money as you can. And our country has a history of, of doing that at no expense, meaning with, with great human cost. And I'm not a big fan of that. I am a big fan of conscious capitalism, adaptive enterprise, regenerative agriculture, all these systemic thinking tools. So I'm trying to bring that into business and I'm showing leaders that if they make one decision, it's good for them and is good for their employees, for their customers, for their shareholders and so on and so on, that that's the right way to run a business. So I hope that my example and the many thousands of other people who are trying to do the same thing will give enough evidence that people can feel comfortable doing for others without even being asked. Because I think that's that's the right way to live on a planet. Hmm. Yeah, I really love that. I guess the idea of this capitalism with taking no prisoners sort of thing, uh, I often wondered when I was in the corporate world and, and we kept being told the our employees are our greatest asset and so on and the behavior didn't quite match that. <laughs> <laughs> and I often wondered, is this idea of earn money at all costs or grow at all costs without regard for individuals, for humans, for people's situation, for the greater good, in fact, was simply carelessness or just not thinking about it rather than an intention that somebody's got to lose in order for me to win kind of mentality. Yeah. You know, I think we've had our, our, our share of bad actors throughout the centuries. Mm. And there are people that are just born with an ill will and enjoy harming other people. It's almost like a sport for them. And there are a number of political figures that are alive today that I think might have a little bit of that in them. But when I think about what caused capitalism to grow so quickly and become so successful, I think it was open opportunity and a, an inability for large institutions, governments, companies to fill the voids that they saw. For example, when the United States acquired what was called the Louisiana Purchase, which basically doubled the size of our country mm. by buying from France for a very small amount of money, so much land, Indians were displaced, that was the cost, and settlers moved into that territory. There's no way the government could have afforded that. So they dangle this very big carrot of you can do really well if you'll put your mind to it, if you'll put your risk and your capital and your family right out there on the frontier. So I think that pioneering spirit was a little bit based on greed and mm. it was based on a lack of ability for organizations to fund the things that they knew they really needed. So they had to unfetter and take away a lot of the constraints and the guidance from these really large initiatives. And as we've seen new markets develop, as we've seen technologies grow, it's been the same thing. And I'm more in your camp than I am in what I just said, the idea that people are not mindful of the harm that they may be causing when they make decisions for only one aim. But I think today we live in a world, and sorry for talking so long, but I'm almost done. <laughs> we live in a world now that we realize has finite resources, finite room, 
And the problems that we're creating for ourselves are becoming much better known because we all know what's happening. We've all got the numbers and the reports and we can see with our own eyes on television and streaming media and all these different things. So there's no reason not to anymore. Hmm. Yes, and there's certainly a lot of issues that need to be dealt with. In some ways, that pioneering spirit could help us deal with those because there is an urgency to some of these things. At the same time, though, we've got to work together in ways that possibly we haven't done so in the past. I love that idea, Jurgen. It's, it's not just pioneering as individuals, but it's pioneering together. Mm. It's about collaborating smartly and using all of our resources, capabilities, abilities, ideas. It's not about one person has to win against everybody else. So. No. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit. We've delved into world problems and attitudes to them. <laughs> Story miners, that's a really interesting name. How did that come about and how did you get into the storytelling business? Sure. Well, I was having a coffee with a dear friend of mine named Tom Milkovic. And this was right around 2000, 2001. We were sitting in a Starbucks trying to figure out what to do. Tom was ready to get back into agency world because he was on the corporate side. And I walked over and I picked up the newspaper. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, Southeast United States, home of the 96 Olympics. And the newspaper that day had titles on it. I can't remember what they were, but thousands of marketing executives had just been let go from some of our largest corporations with headquarters here. And I told Tom, you know, Tom, this is a terrible time <laughs> to do this because you know, there's so much competition. And that led to a conversation about, well, what do you do best, Tom? And then Tom reciprocated, what do you do best, Mike? And it turns out that in our own ways, we each have a skill at helping people describe themselves in a way that truly reflects who they are to others and gets them interested. So we're translators, interpreters, storytellers, if you mm -hmm. will. But not storytelling is, not storytelling is in lying because storytelling can also mean fibbing, and that's not what we meant. So we're both good at unearthing the, the core of an individual or a brand. So we took that idea, and we approached six different people that we knew, and we closed all six. And mm -hmm. we decided that we had something there, so we were looking at each other, and the name Story Miners came up, because we, we unearthed hmm. the story that's already inside of you. That was the storyline that we were going with. So that's where the name came from. And it's mm. kind of fun. I think it should be a publishing house next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fascinating. So what sort of approach do you take then to, as you say, unearth that story that's in each of us? And, and a lot of people might react to that and say, I'm kind of just pretty ordinary. I haven't done anything really interesting. There's no story there. How do you go about unearthing that, helping people to overcome perhaps that mindset if that's where they're coming from? and crafting it in a way that's really interesting for somebody else to listen to? Well, a couple of things. If somebody's not really interested in marketing themselves or their business, you really can't help them. I learned from a woman named Marge Bell, whom I worked for one summer in Orlando, that you can't teach a pig to sing. Have you ever heard <laughs> that phrase? No, I haven't well, heard that Well, the rest one. of it was, well, it doesn't work and it pisses off the pig. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't push people where they don't want to go. That's the yeah. first thing. The second thing is most people know what they love and they know what other people love about them, but they just don't feel comfortable sharing that publicly. Their mm. ego gets in the way, their psychology from being their parent's child or being bullied or having a bad boss or something gets in the way. But I've usually found that the quietest people are the most amazing in the world. They're just fascinating and their stories haven't been told. So when you get it out of them, two things happen. One is they're able to articulate often for the very first time what they do in a way that matters and it lights them up. They get so excited about being able to finally with confidence and without shame, describe what it is that they do. And it's great. So there's some things that we do or that I do as an expert, just having done it a lot. I don't mean expert in a heady, egotistical way, just in a, the more times you've done it, the hmm. more patterns you recognize. But the one thing that people can do on their own or with their friends is ask others a question. 
If you were describing me to a friend, what would you say? Or, what do I do best? Or, how do I do what I do? The point is, you ask other people questions, and you let them describe who you are and how you are. And that, again, does two things for you. It gives you the answer, but it also is almost a guarantee to work because the language that your friends and your colleagues use is exactly what everybody else uses. We all, especially in professional services, get in our own little heads and we have all this jargon and this vocabulary <laughs> and certain words mean things to us, but they have no meaning at all to the kid next door or the neighbor across the street. So when you normalize your language by letting somebody else shape parts of your story, I swear that is the fastest way to get from, I don't know who I am and I'm afraid to talk, <laughs> to having a story that other people want to hear the ending to. And yeah. that's a great first step. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. And what you say is really on point, the idea that we tend to have this formalized version of language that we use. I don't know whether that's something that's trained into us in the corporate world. Or that sort of was my philosophy. And mm -hmm. often there was a way to express yourself in the corporate world, whether it was writing reports, doing a presentation or so on, that, that was so foreign sometimes to, yeah. to the people, to me, certainly when I was doing it. And then it sticks when you're doing that for so long. Let me um, add a little point to what you just said. In my opinion, and this is based on only my experience in a few corporations, I'm sure it's not the same for everybody, but that special jargon is a way of keeping outsiders out. <laughs> yeah. And when you're in business for yourself or when you're building your brand inside of a company, you want to let outsiders in. Hmm. Very different way of using that language, which is why it's not so functional when you're trying to reach people you don't know. Yeah. You're basically trying to turn strangers into friends. So. Yeah. I remember when I first started in my longest corporate job and it seemed to me very early on, I said, what is it with these three-letter acronyms? <laughs> People would have, <laughs> there'd be a sentence that contained five or so three-letter acronyms and of course I didn't know what they were talking about until I became yeah. familiar with the, most of the three-letter acronyms and then I guess at some point it just became part of how I expressed myself <laughs> as well. And often it would be at customer meetings where you'd be reminded, hey, you can't use the three-letter acronyms because now you're talking yeah. to outsiders. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been a while now. I probably can't remember most of them, but <laughs> there were lots of them. <laughs> and we still use them today. I mean, we talk about a CRM, um, mm -hmm. Customer Relationship Management, for those that don't know what that is. Yeah, and it's even worse in the military around the world. There are so many abbreviations, but they don't limit themselves to three. They'll do four, five, six. Yeah. They just open up the alphabet. So in crafting a story, I know one of the things you say is very important is getting that emotional connection with that story. Mm -hmm. So we can tell a story in terms of, I mean, I see this in CVs where, that I read or, or LinkedIn profiles that I read where somebody would say, well, I've had 10 years experience in X, I've done this, I've worked here for and so on. And you think, well, it's just a bullet list of things that have happened in their life or things that they've done in their life. It's not really inspiring. It doesn't yeah. capture me. It doesn't excite me in any way, even though there might be a list of amazing accomplishments. How do you mm -hmm. change something like that and make it engaging? Wow, good question. So many things come to my mind, Jürgen. Let me just ramble and please guide <laughs> yeah. me as we go along here. In my opinion, Storytelling is not just painting a better picture. It's about creating a better opportunity or reality. The best stories are the ones that are about other people, not about you. Hmm. The best stories come from listening before you talk. And the best stories are not manipulative. They're experiential. They let people step into a world which you create. You define the boundaries, the purpose, the environment, the attitude, the tone. And other people in that environment that you create with your words, they get to make discoveries. And people love to make discoveries. Hmm. And when they do, they bind to that cool new thing that they found. 
They believe it more. They get closer to it. They like it more. Why? Because they figured it out. Because they were involved. Because they're the center of the story. So um, going to resumes for a second or, or any kind of persuasive communication, you could say something like, I had 10 years of experience. You could say something like, over 10 years and 100 direct reports, the thing I heard the most from them was that they liked how much I listened. See how that mm. paints a totally different picture? But mm. even though you're saying you're a good listener, you didn't write, I am a good listener. Yeah. You put it in the context of years and people and most frequent. That sounds like evidence. So you, people are imagining those hundred people going up or being managed by you. And it's all about how well you listen to them. Then they get a real feeling for who you are. And that is much more tangible than a logic or whatever the side of the video is for you. Left side only yeah. approach to thinking things out in a detailed way. That makes yeah. sense. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's elegant use of language, but it's painting the picture from other people's perspective. Hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Hmm. That's why I said listening is so important before you start speaking or before you start writing. You have to write with the other person in mind. Back to the very beginning of our conversation, it was all about how making one decision for your business can be good for lots of others. You can't know what's good for lots of others unless you ask them unless you spend some time with them, unless you pay attention to and observe and note what their unmet needs are. Then, as a good strategist, a good manager, a good leader, a good storyteller, a good designer, you can help come up with solutions where everybody wins. It's like all the boats in the port rise with the tide. That, hmm. to me, is the definition of good strategy. I win, you lose. That's not very hard strategy. Hmm. It's not very hard to be a dictator who pushes buttons and sends bombs to people. It's easy. It's I win, everybody else loses. It's me first thinking. It mm. takes a much more enlightened person, and we need more of them working yeah. openly to create solutions that work for everybody. So that works for storytelling too. It's the same mentality. Mm. Yes, absolutely. That's my two cents. <laughs> coming back to that I win, you lose mentality, I think it's short-sighted as well because the others, the non-winners, at some point, they'll mm -hmm. figure something out. And if they take the same approach, then me as the winner today ends up being the loser tomorrow. And that that's why our two-party system here in the United States is, is it's crying at the end of its life. It's crying for change because everything's come to a juggernaut and it's a halting. So mm. the, the parties are ahead of the people right now. And it, that's just a sign of more things to come around the world. I hope we can eliminate that. It's the same thing that you're saying. It, it just, the, the I win, you lose thinking has already had its day. There are very few situations where that's appropriate. Hmm. We're, we're going real moral and philosophical here. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Well. You have to hurt us back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, coming, coming back to the idea of storytelling, you said something there in terms of listening and putting the listener in the position of the hero of the story so that they, mm -hmm. they resonate and they have, have an experience and they have an aha moment perhaps from that story. One of the yeah. things that occurred to me there, you were talking about good listening and, and connecting the dots came up there to pull together a story. Talk to us a little bit about your work with customer experience. I know this is something that you're moving into more and more and very passionate about. Because I think there, this philosophy could transform the overall customer experience landscape as well. And, and there's lots of oh, examples that I have that I think, well, you know, these people have never been their own customer and they're really making it very difficult for, for me as a customer. You know, when I got into customer experience, it was when I was working um, as eVisionary at IBM. So the job there was all about introducing big new ideas, and customer experience was one of them. The first project I sold was McDonald's Digital drive through which, by the way, launched in the United States in 2018. So it took 18 years, hmm. but they did a great job with it. And ever since then, what, we've, what I've applied is this notion of figure out how to make it better for the customer. So if you're doing digital drive through you set up a mock drive through 
and you walk through it. You physically move through the different stages. You figure it out. You can work with pen and paper, which is what we did to get started with sketching. A company that came before us to this project, Doblin Research, which taught me so much. I think they were purchased by another company as their founder passed away a number of years ago. But they would run cameras, with permission, of course, hundreds of hours of evidence to see how did the drive-through work, what were the questions, what were the activities going on in the car, and so on and so on. And they'd use that information in what's now called a design thinking, mm. pioneered by more universities, to kind of figure out what was it that the customers were really trying to do? Where were their unmet needs? And what kind of value was not being delivered by the system today? So here's the difference. If you put an operations optimizer into the situation of improving the drive-through, they're going to make the sandwiches move faster because they want to sell more sandwiches. So yeah. anything that increases revenue is fair game. If they have to slide the cars on grease to move them through, that's what they'll do. If you're building a brand, you're worried about other things. Yeah, you want to see your, your revenues rise, but you also want to deliver more value to your customers continuously because that's what keeps them coming back. No customer stays with the same brand because they do things exactly the same every single time. Even your favorite cruise line, dinner spot, or manufacturer of your favorite pair of socks. There's always something that's creeping because we all have changing needs. It's so important to make sure that you're finding new ways to deliver that value. So for McDonald's, some of the things that we figured out, and this is back to that whole idea of many outcomes with one decision, were what were some of the problems? Well, one of the things we learned from the Doblin research is that well, people were looking in their bags to see if the order was right, and they were holding up the line behind them, which cut revenues. So we dug into that. Why were people looking at their bags? Because usually the orders were wrong. Hmm. Why were the orders wrong? Well, you had people who spoke different languages in the kitchen, and the, the register receipts were all consonants with no vowels. Our suggestion was to turn that into a picture system. So if you ordered an all-beef patty special sauce lettuce cheese but without pickles on a sesame seed bun, a little picture of that, the ingredients would go, blip, 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 blip. they'd drop right in front of the sandwich maker station. And that same picture of the sandwich would be printed out on the receipt and the bag would be clear so that you could look at it in a glance and check your labels and you knew everything was right and you could go on. So that created talking points, confidence, better operations, fewer errors, a more comfortable workforce that wasn't as language dependent. That was just one story from McDonald's. It's fascinating. You highlighted something there that I think is really important for particularly those businesses that have that direct customer interaction in whether it's a retail space or whatever, that direct customer interaction where they've got to turn around and experience their product, their system, their service as a customer. I was talking recently with someone who related a story about one of their customers that provided a software service to Uber drivers. Mm -hmm. And they said their senior executive team actually spent a month as Uber drivers. So they actually got hired by Uber, went Very out, smart. drove the car, experienced firsthand what the Uber driver, what his day-to-day -day work is like. And then they came back into their job and they said, well, here's how it's like. Here's the issues that these people face. Here's what our software needs to address. It's so much easier to solve for what matters. I think that's yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. And if we could, the last question of the interview might be, what's the one piece of advice you have? And it would be to shop your own business and to have yeah. others do it with you. So mm. if you offer buy online, pick up in store, do that. If you offer ship to home, do that. If you offer digital returns or mobile banking deposits or whatever it is, mm. go through all the steps in your business and try them out and poke and prod and test and ask questions and, and see what it's like. It, like you said, for the folks who made the Uber, the software for Uber drivers, yeah. it gives you such a fresh perspective. It's so easy to anticipate what customers' needs are. 
when you do that. Your chances of guessing wrong are way, way reduced, and your empathy can't help but go up. And in my opinion, empathy is one of the things that story brings and one of the things that customer experience can do best. Same for employee experience, because we all know from COVID how alone it can feel Mm. to be out there and understanding that people are people, that they have needs, they have concerns and cares. They're not bots. They're not pieces of software. They're not cogs in a machine. There's something special about being human. And if you treat other people on purpose and by design as humans, I'm not saying in a, in a procedural fashion, but if you mm. just give time to be human, everything works better. Yeah, I, lo- I love these services where they talk about customer service. So call customer service to solve your problem and you phone up and then it starts off with press one for this, press two for that, press such and such for that and then at the end of a really frustrating experience they'll say is it okay if we ask you for a survey usually (laughs) my response if i get to talk to somebody in that survey my response is have you ever gone through your system (laughs) my my suggestion will be go through your system pretend to be a customer of your system and then come and talk to me again (laughs) yeah Hey, in, in your part of the world, would you agree that companies that really emphasize a customer service department are the ones that haven't engineered their operations well enough? It's kind of the, whatever our systems don't do, you can go there to get done, maybe? Mm. Is it like that yes. for you? Well, yeah, that there is a lot of that. And I know one of the things that we did <clears throat> in my longest corporate job was try to break down these different barriers because we had a customer service department and often I would hear from the people I was working with who are mainly technical and manufacturing roles that, oh, that's a customer service department that deals with that. I said, well, customer service is actually all of our roles because without the customer, we don't have a job. (laughs) Bingo, bingo, yeah. But there, there are a lot of manifestations of that the manufacturing people would say, well, okay, now, now it's sales turn. And well, yes, mm-hmm. the sales people have the job of the interface with the customer in terms of making the sale. But if they fail, then we're all out of a job as well. So how can we bring a sales mentality? How can we bring a marketing? How can we bring a strategic mentality? So it was, we did a lot of processes around product development that worked in a cross-functional way, get everybody on the same page right at the beginning of the process, including the customer, listening to the customer, which is part Mm -hmm. of this whole customer experience thing. Good for you. Then working through the process. So it was about, well, here's the end product. Here's where we start from. These are the things that have to happen along the way to get the outcome Mm -hmm. that's going to give a successful product, help the customer do something, and also be profitable for us. Everybody had a role to play along that right from the beginning, and it wasn't the research people come up with something and then they give it to the next department. All tightly integrated. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I agree with you. This idea that customer service is a department that you go when things go wrong is... is That's where the bad customers go. Yeah. They don't fit the perfect system. But I love what you said, and I would vote for you for managing director. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think those days are over. One of the things that I'm curious about, and I know you know, we've touched on this a little bit, is this idea of a, a proactive approach to customer experience rather than a reactive. So rather than, okay, there's a problem come up, now go and talk to customer service, or even if it's across the board, okay, we've got a problem, how do we deal with this? That's our customer service focus, as opposed to the proactive approach, which is how can we do things better? Yeah. Well, to do that, if that's the question, Hmm. is you need to have two goals. You have to understand what your organization's reason for being is, because there's something that your organization does to create value that keeps it in business, not to make a profit. The purpose of a business is to create value for its customers, because if that doesn't happen, it goes away. There's no more reason to exist. Keeping a profit is a result 
of doing other things well. It's just a counting tool. It's not the end game. Mm. The end game, in my opinion, and this works really well for customer experience businesses, is to increase, not maximize, but increase the value for your customers and for other constituencies. Okay, so it's much more United Nations and a lot less yeah. boxing match, okay? The other thing is you have to understand what your customer's trying to do. It's called jobs to be done, design thinking. There are lots of other names for it. Mm. But if you can understand what your customer's trying to do, the value that they're trying to create, you can be very innovative in how you help them realize that value. I'll give you an example of a client that I worked with. I'm going to go way back to IBM because that stuff is so old, it's not under NDA anymore. So we were working with a Rust Belt manufacturer. They made these giant bearings called tapered roller bearings. So they're conical in shape. And you put something heavy like a locomotive on it. And it helps the engine while it's running with 500,000 tons behind it and barreling down at 80 kilometers an hour or more. It keeps entropy from entering the system and slowing the whole rig down. So to put these things in, you needed to have a certain kind of tool and a little ring and a cotter pin. And it took heavy equipment to get this thing to go in place on the engine. And then it took a, someone to go underneath and put that little cotter pin in. Okay? <laughs> so one of the things that we were working on for Timken, that was the name of the company, was how can we improve the installer experience? Because if the installer experience goes better, more of that product gets specified. So we did two things. The first thing we did is instead of shipping all of the same part in a crate to them and letting them take apart the crates and pick out the right parts in the right quantities and then ship it over to the manufacturing line where they could all get assembled at once, we started kitting the parts. And this was customer experience. Mm. This is manufacturing operation stuff, but it came under customer experience. So when they did that, it was so much easier for them to just order X of this unit, which had 18 pieces in it, and they would just show up and they could be dropped right on the production floor next to where they were needed. So it saved them a ton of labor and internal logistics and problems and line slowdowns and all of that. And the other thing that somebody came up with was this very clever idea of putting a few extra cotter pins in the box. Because what would happen is the guy would get underneath and he'd hold the cotter <laughs> pin right here it. and he'd drop it. And then he had to extricate himself and go back under and it just took so much time. So they gave away some five cent or 10 cent cotter pins mm -hmm. and it just made things so happy and everybody really appreciated it because it, it showed an, an intimacy and an understanding of the work that they were doing. It had nothing to do with selling $100,000 more or getting a five-year longer contract. It was about making the grease monkey's job a little bit easier so he could go home to his wife or she could go home to somebody else. And it was just human. It was a human thing mm. to do. And it just made so much sense. That's a fabulous story. I love it. It reminded me of a couple of instances, and I was just trying to think of what these were. Oh, I was installing some a plug in the wall for speaker cables. So we've had speakers in our house in remote locations in the days when they were still wired speakers. And now this goes back mm -hmm. 25 years or so. And recently yeah. we did some work in the house and my wife said, you know those speaker cables that are just coming out of a hole in the wall back there by the stereo? Maybe it's time to actually clean that up. I basically left this hole in the wall where the speaker cables just came out. And I thought, okay, I'll do that now. And I bought a plug to install in the wall to connect the cables. And and it was done in such a way that made the job really easy. And there were a, a bunch of little things, just trivial little things mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. were done, like slightly angled connectors where it was easy to put the wire in. And I thought, these guys have actually used the their work. own product. <laughs> That kind of experience is so unique that it excites me. <laughs> it should actually be the yeah. norm. <laughs> yeah. So that was a great experience for you. And a mm. great experience is the birthplace of word of mouth. Yeah. People are dying to share great stories of things that happened to them. Wonderful restaurant finds, good service, a great new product. They love to share that stuff, especially now in social media days. It's like... Mm. 
what have I got to share? Where am I the originator? How can I get some views and be popular? It's by sharing great experiences. So mm. it, it, it's wonderful for business when you um, put, you design experiences and discoveries into your products and your services because those experiences become stories and you don't That's have to right. pay for them. Yeah. There's the connection. Customer experience becomes stories. Yeah. All right. Well, this is fascinating. I can continue talking for ages about all these things, Mike. <laughs> um, I'm really enjoying the conversation. I think it's a good time, though, now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. Mm -hmm. It's designed to help the listeners take something away from your experience with the same five questions that I ask of every guest. So you'll see. Right, well, let's see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I would say listen and observe before you start brainstorming. Hmm. Do you want a longer that's answer? That's fine. <laughs> so it does. No, no, that, that's it comes answer. back to listening, right? No, it, it, it does. And, and hmm. listening means that you have to turn off your, you have to activate your mind in a different way. You have to be ready to receive new information in an unbiased way. And you have to be willing to dismantle your cubbyhole system for holding information. <laughs> Because it might come back in different patterns. And it's the different mm. patterns, not just the data points, that could be the most valuable and the most surprising. Mm. And in the times that we live in now, there is more first-of-a-kind work than I've ever seen in my lifetime. It's phenomenal how much opportunity we're in right now. We are swimming in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, mm. a lot of challenges. But it's all opportunity because we get to take yesterday's outcomes and infrastructure and turn them into new things. But to do that, you've got to quiet your mind. I don't practice martial arts, but I've heard that a lot of folks practice a, a mind quieting technique that goes by many different names to just be present so mm. that they can respond to what happens. And it's that kind of a zen or in the zone, quiet, reflective moment that you need to be in to hear the new information. And you have to be willing to let some of your ideas go temporarily, you don't have to throw them away, so that you can hear new things, because that's where the opportunity lies. You'll always be designing. If you're a good designer, you're always designing for customers' unmet needs. And we have more unmet needs now than we've had met needs throughout history. It's a phenomenal time. It's a magical time right now. Hmm. I love the idea of quietening the mind to enable you to really listen without judgment and without any preconceived idea of What's the outcome of this kind of thinking or listening? Mm. Yeah. You know, one of the hardest things, Jurgen, is filtering because there are a lot of crappy ideas that come up. Mm. And keeping an open mind and allowing everybody to speak and being fair about everything doesn't mean you have to pursue every one of yeah. them. <laughs> that is such a waste of time. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Failing fast. It's, it's, it's got its yeah. points, but if, if a designer looks at things and you let them lead or you bring an artist into the mix with you, they can help you cut through a lot of the fast failure so you can get to fast mm. success. All right. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? For me, it's probably been, especially as I'm getting older and older, is to find younger and younger people to work <laughs> with. There's a creative connection, tension. I have a desire to learn. They have a desire to learn. And we shape this space where we can collaborate. And these are wildly different people than me who spend their free time and their money very differently than I do. Hmm. But the older you get, the younger you go, the better the ideas. The one thing that makes the difference, it's not what I eat or drink. It's not how much I exercise. It's not what books I read. It's who I hang out with. Yeah. And you really get to choose what you study, and who you hang out with and everything else's consequence. So mix up who you hang out with and who you collaborate with. It takes some patience, but it's got tremendous rewards. That's so good. You often hear people at our age talk about the younger generation. It used to be better in my time and they just don't have the same values. But I think that's such close thinking. And people coming through today, when you think about children of today they we were talking the other day coming back to my stereo mm -hmm. thing i've got a record player there but not only that i've got a mini disc player and i've got a cassette player and i said well there are people that are in school today that don't know what those things are <laughs> but at wow. the same you, time you live in a museum 
<laughs> at the same time, they've grown up with the technology that we're still coming to grips with. We're still trying to learn. So bringing those different generations together in that learning environment, as you put it, I think is wonderful. Yeah, you can definitely use music differently than you did before. You can almost create your own experiences now because so much is on demand and it's available anywhere. And hmm. with um, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference was, it's this week. Hmm. And some of the biggest tools are about sharing content with others you yeah. know, to enhance the experience. Because it's a lot more fun when it's not just you, when you can share what you're experiencing in the moment with somebody else. Hmm. Hey, Fred, Fred, check this out. And they don't have to be there. It's, it's, we're just finding new ways to do things that are so much fun. That's right. And it goes back to the principle in the days of cassette recordings, and I've, I've even got a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder, <laughs> the, of making your own recordings. We used to make recordings for our friends, and we used to share those recordings. And we'd have a record collection, they'd have a record collection, so we'd make recordings of one another's record collections and share in that way. So really, we've been doing this all the time. It's taking that principle and saying today's technology allows us to do that on demand in an instant. Across geography and time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, what's a favorite resource <laughs> that you use most often? I would say it's a favorite technique. Because I work at the intersection of strategy, technology, experience, and story, I like to have a sketch artist with me when we're mm -hmm. doing ideation sessions. Because what we'll do is the client usually wants to say what their idea is. So we'll capture that and we'll draw that and we'll mm. write it down and we'll define it and we'll create whatever charts and graphs they feel like they need to fully express themselves. And then we'll run like Einstein thinking experiments. You think through a situation. What would it be like for this kind of customer, for that kind of customer in the store, at home? on a mobile device. You, know, you think through these different iterations, and then we start crafting experiences starting with nothing other than what we've heard from the client and what we know from a little bit of pre-read. But we're really good designers. We're really good at listening for trends and those unmet needs and unspoken desires and things like that. Plus, we've usually shopped their business or experienced their product mm -hmm. or service before. So I'll give directions to the sketch artist that might go something like this. All right, John, I've just walked through the doors of a Starbucks and I'll go like this so he can see me. Mm. I'm pulling the doors apart, one in each hand. And the camera's here and I'm holding my hand over my back shoulder. So I want you to show a silhouette of the man opening the doors. And on the other side of the man, there are three tables. Two of them are empty, but one has a woman three quarter facing this way and a man looking at her like really listening to her, like he's almost in love. And her purse is on the floor and there's four coffee cups on the table. So you've been there for a long time. So we put that level of detail in mm. and we start telling the story of what's going on. In that situation, one of the things, and I've thought of this one before, so this was pretty easy, <laughs> yeah. but some Starbucks are putting hooks underneath the tables mm. so the purses don't have to lay on the floor. So you can, well, how do you think she feels about this? What are they doing there? Is the table big enough? What are they putting their dishes? Doesn't somebody come by and clean that off for them? All these ideas come through your head and you have mm. to operationalize them. So you realize that they don't offer table service at Starbucks. You have to clear your own stuff. So by the time you have 20 cups, it's time for you to go bust your own stuff. But if you've got a really nice purse that costs you 100 or $500 or it's just your favorite bag because your grandmother gave it to you. You don't want it on the floor where a bunch of strangers have been walking in, coffee has been spilled, and an occasional pet has been sitting. So how much does it cost to put a hook there? How do we position it so that nobody catches their pants on it and tears their cloth? And so on and so on. So drawing things out does a couple of things. It lets everybody see their ideas made real, which has tremendous benefit. I'll talk about that in a second. And the other thing it does is it lets you get everybody on the same page, literally. There's no confusion about language. It's a picture. 
and you're mm. talking about it and you're sharing stories. And what people will remember are the things they said, the turns of phrase other people said. They're going to start remembering what the character felt like as you're describing this fake person in a totally fake environment on a 2D piece of paper. But the conversations can go like this. They're so fast and you can go through them so many times. So it's like doing a website, version 0 0.5, 0 0.6, yeah. 0 0.672. And you just keep making it better and better before you build anything. Paper prototyping or body storming. It's, yeah. It goes by lots of different <laughs> names, but I love sketching. Sorry yeah. for the long answer. Yeah. yeah, I love it. It's fabulous. And also with the, the sketches, it's the picture paints a thousand words principle yeah. isn't it because people will then look at the finished sketch and they will be immediately reminded of the conversations of their story their contribution of other people's contribution so it'll bring back a whole you variety so of the yeah. process yeah and Jurgen, that's a really good technique if you're using um, these sketches in a customer experience journey map i always have a talking stick with me it's just a pointer talking stick. It's an old fashioned word. So you hand it to somebody without letting them know it's coming to them. And they go to the first position and they point the stick at the character or the scene and they start talking about it. Hmm. And then they give it to somebody else and they add a little bit more detail. And then the operations person adds their perspective to it. And then you move on to the next segment and so on and so on. But by retelling that story and hearing other people saying it and you giving voice to it, it helps everybody remember the key decisions and the why. It creates context that everybody can share hmm. way, way, way beyond words. And what happens, the magic of using these sketches is the conversation shifts from I want to look good, I want power, I want the idea to be mine, to what's right for the customers and the other people in the scene. Hmm. And then it evokes collaboration, clarity, confidence, and all these other good benefits. That tool is one of the primary ones that lets you go from a single decision with a single outcome that's beneficial to only one, a me-oriented thing, to a we-oriented solution. Hmm. It's by seeing everybody, and, and you can't help but look at them you can't forget your customer they're right there on the paper in front of you yeah yeah <laughs> love it yeah you might just have answered the the fourth question of the buzz round and what's the best way to keep a client on track and i'm guessing that your journey mapping and referring back to that is is a good way i guess there are two parts to your question the on track part once you have an idea or a vision for things how do you keep everybody aligned to that. Absolutely. You go back to the reason for being, the principles, the cultural precepts, the stories, the customer experience design, your operations planning documents, repeating, 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 adding detail, deepening, and you switch from being the storyteller as the leader to letting somebody else be the storyteller and you coach them and you coach them on how to coach others so they can start you know, spreading the stories through ripples and that's how it becomes lore. But another answer to that question is get a project manager. <laughs> if you haven't worked with one, oh my God, they're like sent from heaven. They yeah. are amazing to work with. They think differently. Sometimes they might really piss you off because they make you think in such detail when you're an idea person. But it's that going back and forth, that's that creative positive tension that a project manager can bring to a creative process that makes it real and makes it possible for other people who aren't so creatively minded, not that they're not creative, but they're just not their, that's not their primary way of problem solving and thinking. It allows them to be part of it as well. So I think of um, a project manager as an inclusive agent. And I also think of an artist as an inclusive agent when I'm working on a project that's more technically oriented. Hmm. I love it. Uh, bringing together all kinds of different disciplines and skills um, in a way that everybody feels part of the bigger process yeah well well put i love how you capstone these things that i'm <laughs> saying it's just right. it adds so much value thank you okay well what's the the final question of the buzz round what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves you know i think that being different is overrated because we're told in marketing that you have to be unique. You have to be an island of one. You have a unique selling proposition. You must be something that you can't get anywhere else. Scarcity for luxury brands, for example. But because we're moving to a more human, interconnected, experiential, 
hopefully more human kind of world, I think the best thing you can do is to know how to become yourself. Hmm. Once you know who you are, then your boundaries are better known to you. So you don't stretch in a place that you can't go personally. And that kind of awareness and behavior goes to not allowing your business to stretch beyond where it can go. Just yeah. as a leader, just because you have an idea doesn't mean your business is capable of it, that your customers want it, that your shareholders care about it, or that you should do it. So I think that uh, knowing yourself as an individual and knowing yourself if you're a steward of the brand is probably the first step to getting there because then you know what not to do hmm. and you can spend more of your time not feeding your own ego or pocketbook, but feeding your customers' needs and finding new ways to create value for them. That's what lifts all the boats. Yeah. My yeah. two cents. <laughs> kind of full circle in a way. The idea of knowing yourself, I think the other part of that is being comfortable with that and saying that's okay. I mm -hmm. can grow within that space. I don't need yeah. to expand out to this other area that's foreign to me simply because I want to grow. <laughs> yeah. And you made me think of something too. I think you can, I don't, this might not be the right term, but grow vicariously. Hmm. If you are innately, if you train yourself, and anybody can do this, I believe, if you train yourself to be sincerely curious about other people, hmm. you will be always like a magnet, always attracting new talents, perspectives, and abilities. And if you know yourself and you're curious, Others will show you how to mix all of that together yeah. because we can go further together than we can individually. It, I, I think there's some old indigenous story, and it could be on every continent, that if you, you know, want to get there safely, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone hmm. kind of thing. So same thing applies. But if you're young, one of the takeaways should be start asking questions of others Learn how they framed things. How did they make decisions? How did they get ahead? What did they do when things were difficult? How did they get along with other people? Mm. How did they make the big decision about which way to go? When you ask people a question, it's like reading a book. 20 years of experience in the <clears> 10 <throat> hours it takes to read a book, and that becomes yours, and you can build on that. And you can learn faster, deeper, better than the generation that came before you. So be curious. I think that's mm. really important, too. Wonderful. Love it. All right. Well, yeah. thanks, Mike. This has been fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you, about StoryMinders, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? Uh, well, thanks. Um, you can just Google Mike Wittenstein, or you can, I'll spell that, um, M-I-K-E-W-I-T-T-E-N-S-T-E-I-N, -E -E uh, and Mike at Mike Wittenstein is an email. You can also look at the company website, StoryMiners, S-T-O-R-Y, M-I-N-E-R-S.com and all the contact information is there. Oh, there's one cool thing. If you have a question, you can go, and this is a hidden feature, so you'll only hear about it when I'm on a podcast. If you'll go to storyminers.com slash, and write this down, Y-A-M-A. -A. It stands for You Ask Mike Answers. Mm -hmm. And you follow the instructions, you leave a video or a text or an audio question and I will answer you in 48 hours or less. So ask anything you want. You get two minutes, no charge. It's a lot of fun. Meet some interesting people. Hopefully you'll get some value from that. So storyminers.com slash Y-A-M-A. And Jurgen, it's been a pleasure. I love the questions, the pre-work, the engineering, and the summaries, the, the capstones that you put on everything. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Fabulous. Well, we'll include all those links in the show notes and certainly I encourage people to Leave a question for Michael, perhaps even a comment uh, about something that they heard on this episode. So let him know right. what that was. All right. So is there some advice you'd like to leave our listener with as we wrap it up today? Something that they can take away and turn into an action as a result of our conversation? Okay. So just one thing or can I do like 20 or 30? <laughs> yeah, sure. No. <laughs> Let's focus on one or two. Make sure uh, they get done two. rather than a big to-do list that yeah. never gets done. Do, do you ask that of, yeah. of all your guests? All right. So if you listen to the last podcast, <laughs> then do what the last guy said. So get it done. I think that's important. <laughs> yeah. I would say that the most transformative piece of advice I've ever shared 
is to shop your own business like your customer. Mm. And I've done that with retailers, doctors, warehouses, manufacturing companies. If you want to put your finger on what's wrong, and if you don't have time and money to do a net promoter score survey and all this other stuff, if you want to cut out a lot of the crazy time-wasting conversation, go out and shop your business, especially if you're the leader. R.H. Mm. Macy used to do that, the head of Macy's. Mm. He would be seen on the store floors all the time. And he would saunter up to a customer, a woman, for example, at the lipstick counter and ask, why did you get that shade of lipstick? Mm. And he was curious. And he would ask questions. And she would say, blah, 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 blah. I have no idea what she said. I really don't care. And I don't wear lipstick. I only did once in junior high school for a powder puff football game. If you don't know what that is, I'll tell you later. But uh, she would explain how she liked the angle or she wanted to feel or she needed a certain color or it was for a special event or it was whatever. And he would talk to hundreds and hundreds of customers and he starts to put together his own market research. He figured out hmm. how to make the sales interaction at the lipstick and then the perfume and the beauty products counters better and better. And that's one of the things, one of the departments that their whole brand hung on for mm. decades was the way they served people as they were trying to look their best. And that came from him and from observation. There's just unmined gold in observing and shopping your business, yeah. whether it's B2B or B2C or anything else, just like your customers. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, if you're a heart surgeon, I wouldn't recommend it, but everybody else <laughs> yeah. can do it. <laughs> yes. Well, there's... There's perhaps ways to get feedback and insights for heart surgeons that don't involve that, that are safer, but in... No, no yeah. scalpels. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike. Finally, who else should I get on the show and why? I'm in the middle of a book right now called Deep Tech by Simon Robinson. He mm. runs a company um, based in Brazil. He's a U.S. guy called Holonomics, and it's all about putting soul into tech companies and soul into business. You will find him a fascinating guest. He's got a deep um, subject matter expertise, a number of clients that he's working with. And it, here's the marketing angle for you. He's replacing the four Ps, which I think are product, price, promotion, and place with people, purpose, planet, and I can't remember the fourth one. Ah, I'm so embarrassed. Anyway, um, but it's a much more human way of looking mm. at things. And he, he talks about putting soul into tech. So he calls it tech with soul. And uh, okay. he's also written a book on putting soul into customer experiences. So I think he would be a wonderful guest. He speaks English, located in the Sao Paulo area. So uh, an hour ahead of me in Atlanta. Excellent. Well, sounds fascinating. We'll get an introduction to Simon. I'll have to check out those books. I'm not familiar with those okay. and see if we can get him on the show. So thanks for that. And uh, there's one more place that you can go hunting. I'm part of an international speakers collective called Consortium. We formed it during the um, pandemic to support ourselves, to come up with a number of new ideas for business, to help out where we could. The spelling is not the usual spelling of consortium. It's C-O-N-S-O-R-T-E-E-U-M. Okay, and that has right. some special meaning which you can read about at the site. Yeah. But there are about a dozen folks there from all over the world, South Africa, the Middle East, Europe, Australia, United States, Latin America. And these are just phenomenal folks. I have a lot of respect for them, all different areas from understanding the EQ of a company to finding out what your zoo animal is, to family business, to a whole bunch of different things. Zoo animals like a disc thing but with yeah. a very interesting flair. But any one of those folks would make a fabulous guest for you. And they're already geared up well to do international. They've all got products and services and do speaking. All fascinating folks. And I'm proud to be a part of them. Excellent. I'll check that out and we'll see what we can do to bring some of those folks on as well. Now, please right. feel free to ask me for an intro. I'm happy to do it. Excellent. I will. All right. Well, thanks so yeah. much for sharing your time and your insights with us Thank so generously you. today, Mike. I've enjoyed the conversation immensely. There's been lots of great stories and lots of great anecdotes around customer experience and how we can apply the thinking of lifting all boats, like the win-win for everybody, to the customer experience thinking, to business and engaging stories as well so thanks so much i really enjoyed it a pleasure let's stay in touch yeah all the best for the future
Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that wide-ranging, insightful and informative conversation with Mike and took something away from his episode. Take Mike's advice and shop your own business like your customer would. Have others do it with you. Go through all the steps in your business and test each step. Ask questions. See what the experience is like for the customer. No doubt you'll gain valuable insights into what the customer experience of dealing with your business actually is and you might take some action to improve things as a result. Mike's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Mike Wittenstein. That is M-I-K-E-W-I-T-T-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Mike Wittenstein. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Mike, as well as links to the Story Miners website, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you've listened this far into the show, then you know the drill. I've got a challenge for you. If you love this conversation, and why wouldn't you have loved this conversation, and you think it would be useful to another person, be brave enough to share the conversation with that one other person. You'll be doing them a massive favour. And, of course, in the 530-something other episodes that we've published, there's got to be another one that you haven't yet heard that's equally as valuable to you as this episode. So go ahead, pick another one you haven't heard yet, listen in on that episode before our next published episode, and then send me a note on LinkedIn telling me which episode you picked, why you picked it, but most importantly, what action did you take as a result? Mike suggested that we have a conversation with the author of Deep Tech and the Amplified Organization, also Customer Experiences with Soul, and finally Holonomics, Businesses Where People and Planet Matter. His name is Simon Robinson. And Mike suggested we get him on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So Simon, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Mike Wittenstein. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode so that we can get to know you and why you listen. Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to InnovaBuzz.co forward slash Flywheel, where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember... Be awesome and keep innovating.